Hey everyone, it's Matt. Just want to let you all know that the first six minutes of this recording had a few technical difficulties, so it's going to sound a little weird for the first six minutes, but after that, it'll go back to the regular recording and you'll be able to listen to your show as planned. So, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick alongside Kevin Haswell. We're down in the stretch run of the MLB season. And, you know, things are wrapping up, so we're getting a better idea of the MVP race, Cy Young race, who's going to be in the playoffs and everything like that. So, exciting time to be a baseball fan. And Definitely. Kevin and I got a lot of good topics for you guys. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, you know. Uh, Twins Angels is definitely uh, coming down the wire in the AL wildcard race, so it's, it's fun to watch. I know I was uh, kind of hitting on the AL wildcard race earlier on in our episodes, but, um, you know, this time of year, close races are the best, and that's what's great about baseball. Well, you got some underdog teams in there, so yeah. it's always fun to... No root for them. I've been a big fan of the Brewers this year. They're down to the wire as well, both in the NL Central and over um, in that wild card race in the National League. They're actually neck and neck with the Rockies at the moment. So um, they lost yesterday, pretty crushing defeat. They had mm-hmm. the chance to tie up um, in the standings with the Rockies, but they're still in it, only a game behind them. So it'll be interesting to see how that race shapes up over the last week or so of the season. Yep, definitely. So AL wild card race, it's, I mean, like you said, six or seven teams. Um, within what five games? Yeah, something so, like that. It's uh, crazy. Should be exciting coming down to the end of the season. But uh, I'm excited for some of the topics we're we're gonna talk about today. So why don't we jump in? Yeah. So biggest um, thing that popped out to me when kind of looking through um, potential topics for this week was just the Indians, and we've talked about them a couple times. How crazy their winning streak was last week. We had that big debate over whether that winning streak even mattered. Um, but overall. Obviously, the Indians were the better teams in baseball, and the fuel for that fire, besides their offense, um, is Terry Francona, the manager. Um, And that prompted me to question, who is the best manager in baseball? Kevin, do you think it's Francona? I mean, he's known as one of the more progressive managers in baseball, has a sabermetric approach to things, is willing to look at the numbers, but also is a personal guy. So he seems to have a good you know, blend of that. But do you think he's the model that other managers follow? So before I even go into the stats, just knowing Terry Francona as a, as a coach or as a manager, it's definitely a, a play, players love to just play for Terry Francona. That's the first thing. Um, I know when he, he left Boston, there's a lot of players that, that stayed on Boston and said, uh, talked about how great of a coach he was, how great he was with, with dealing with egos. Cause that's a lot of in professional sports. It's all about, uh, dealing with egos, being able to you know rotate the lineup, whether it's basketball and baseball, and setting the lineups every night, pitching the picking the right pitchers in the right spots, stuff like that. And I think he's terrific with with all of that. Um, but when I really dove into his Baseball Reference numbers earlier, um, in, in thirteen his last thirteen seasons, huh, guess how many seasons he's won uh, ninety plus games. Ah, uh, that's a good one, probably. 13 seasons. 13 seasons, at least six. Nine seasons. Nine seasons. Nine seasons over 90 wins in his last 13. That's pretty good. Not including two World Series championships and a, uh, three AL pennants. That's that's terrific. I mean, um, the guy just knows how to manage. I know last year, no one expected the Indians to be in the World Series. Uh, kind of an underdog coming in, and he's doing it again this year, you know. he has a, He's a better team this year, definitely. But Terry Francona, best best uh, manager in baseball. Yeah, the last time that Terry Francona managed a team that finished a season under 500 was the 2000 Phillies. So you got the best of um, Francona. That's a, that's a great start. You said 2000? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's crazy. He had a couple years off from uh, managing in, the, in between um, 
Red Sox and the Phillies, but overall been just a fantastic manager. And like I said before, one of the things I really like about him is that sabermetric approach. Um, a couple of things he uses, Andrew Miller uh, as that hybrid reliever, even though Cody Allen is the team's closer, the guy that handles the ninth inning every time because he, he knows he yeah. wants a reliable reliever to get those last three outs. But he wants his best reliever in those best spots. I mean, this has talk, been talked about plenty of times, um, and it really shaped the postseason last year between Chapman and Miller um, and the not use of Zach Britton when he should have been. I mean, that was really the biggest storyline um, of the playoffs last year. And then, But aside from that, he also values on base percentage at the top of the lineup. He had Carlos Santana hitting there. Of all people. I know, which you would think is just a crazy idea, but he was one of the top two players in on base percentage on the team. And it made sense. You would think like a player like Francisco Lindor might be the more prototypical leadoff hitter. hitter. A little more speed. Exactly. But he says, okay, my better hitter is um, Lindor. So I'm going to hit him third um, or second, depending on, you know, who's hitting. Jose Ramirez is had an MVP caliber season, so he could be hitting third and have yeah. um, Lindor hitting second. But either way, he knows to put that high on base percentage guy at the top, and he'll, he'll score runs because he's getting on base regardless of whether or not it's a home run. It's always great to start off a game one nothing, um, or you know doubles, singles, whatever Santana hits. But one of the, the cool stats when I was doing some research, 70% of the plate appearances by Indians this season have come with a platoon advantage. So that means the lefty hitting against a right-handed pitcher and a righty hitting against a left-handed pitcher. Now, you look at all the other teams, there are five other teams that lead their divisions right now. Cubs, 60%. Nats, 55%. Dodgers, 58%. Astros, 51%. Red Sox, 49%. Again, 70% of that platoon advantage. So um, it's it's cool to see that, you know, Francona has taken this approach both in the beginning uh-huh. – Starting, you know, starting players who have that platoon advantage, lefty or righty, but against starters, but also in late in games when he's using pinch hitters, um, he's doing it as well. Um, so it's cool to see because, like Joe Madden, who's held as one of the better sabermetric managers yeah. as well, he's only at sixty percent, ten percent less. You get down to John Farrell, who only does it forty nine percent of the time. Um, between like he has more of a set lineup, yeah. Um, and also the Indians have a few more switch hitters, so that does help, obviously. But, I mean, to have that drastic of a jump between the rest of the playoff teams at this point, it's pretty insignificant. Yeah, I mean, like you talked about with Joe Madden, I was going to talk about him next. Um, he's one of those managers, he's always making the weird moves, you know, the, the pitcher in the hole, uh, two outfielders, five infielders, something like that. Um, but I honestly think that Frank Conner just makes the good moves. Like, Joe Madden will make the flashy moves like that. Oh, yeah, it's going to work, and then it doesn't work. But... Terry Francona has just been a better manager. And another manager that we, we have not talked about, um, didn't come up in your numbers, is Bruce Bochy. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, pennant, four NL pennants and three World Series. Uh, he has a 1,800, close to 1,900 wins in his career as a manager, uh, 23 years. And, you know, down here for the Giants, people are talking about him less. But I think Bruce Bochy has to be in that conversation. I actually wrote a piece for Fansighted uh, a couple years ago about top five managers in baseball. So uh, I'll just spit them off really quick. I think I had Joe Girardi, number five, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Madden, number four, Buck Walter number three, Bruce Bochy, number two, and Terry Francona, number one. What do you think about that? I think Buck Walter is a little too old school, um, has those defined bullpen roles, as you saw with Britain, yeah. um, over-reliance on, you know, keeping guys in the same order, same spot in the order, and, you know, sticking through them even when, you know, maybe they could be better served 
I know Chris Davis was hitting third for a long time, um, even though he was hitting like 200. Yeah, you know what I'm So uh, Dusty Baker's the same in that regard, and I don't think that um, that's the greatest way to manage a team. Obviously, there are managers I'm not, but at the same time, um, it's it's cool to um, see the different styles and see what's working because obviously, like what's broke Sir Walter has brought them, uh, the Orioles to playoffs before this year. I think of the past like five years, pre- previous five years, the Orioles were like second or third yeah. uh, in the m- most total wins. So he's obviously a great manager, at least in terms of regular season. But then you look at Bruce, Bruce Bochy, yeah. who hasn't won 90 games in a season since 2012. So he, he obviously has that postseason uh, mentality using um, his pitchers. He's always had that one pitcher that he's relied on um, to get him through. Um, it was Matt Cain at one point. It was... Uh, Madison Bumgarner after that, but you know everyone has their different yeah. perspective and different style of managing, and I think that Buckshaw Walter not so much, but Francona, um, these new man, the managers who are bringing in these new ideas. I mean, everyone's embracing sabermetrics. You have to at this point. Yeah, I mean, to not take that in consideration is just you know absurd. But it, it depends on how much you really let that integrate your managerial style. Mm. And right now, I think Terry Francona is the model of that. And we, and we didn't even touch on Joe Girardi. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy, last year, the Yankees didn't have the most talented roster. Uh, they go out, they, they trade, they get some young players, and look at them this year. About to be the first wild card, win the first wild card spot, be in the wild card game with a team that a lot of people really didn't think were going to make the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. They, they're a little ahead of schedule. Um, he's been a great manager this year, and I, I think it would be criminal for us to leave them off yeah. the discussion. No, I mean, Yankees have had a few down years, I mean, yeah. by Yankee standards, but they're right in the thick of the wild card race right now. I think they're like seven games up now after mm-hmm. um, sweeping the Twins in that series. So they basically have a uh, playoff spot locked. Um, a lot of young talent that Girardi has been big in, you know, developing. Obviously, there's guys like Greg Bird who hasn't um, panned out, but with the way Aaron Judge has been hitting, Aaron Hicks is a great asset when he's healthy. Um, overall, I think he does the best to bring out the best of that offense. Uh, pitching staff has been a little suspect, but overall, uh, definitely admire the way Girardi runs the clubhouse. And I yeah, think that, I, I mean, I've been talking, sorry, I didn't mean no, to you off. Um, I haven't, we, we've been kind of talking about the Yankees being in, inconsistent over the last couple episodes, um, but now there's, you said three games, they're up seven games, yep. twins. Mm-hmm. That's insane. They've won eight of their last ten. Um, definitely trying to, Starting to pull it together a little bit, maybe with some lineup changes. Uh, I don't know how Judge is hitting lately, but he's doing better. I know he's hit over forty homers now, so yeah, so um, I mean, he's getting up there. Even with a poor second half, he's still you know one of the better mm-hmm. um, rookies this season. We'll get into the rookie uh, conversation a little bit with the one who hasn't really been talked about, but um, yeah, but the you know the Yankees, it's good for baseball for them to be back in the playoff. I, I know last year uh, they weren't, and it. it there, there are a couple teams in around the game of baseball that you know, you put them in the in the playoffs, and it, it's just good for the game of baseball. The Cubs are one, Yankees are another, Red Sox are another. Mm-hmm. There's just the classic franchise. Old teams, it's, yeah. It's good to have them in the playoffs. Dodgers in there yeah, too, definitely. So, um, definitely good for for the game. Good of for baseball. ratings, good for money, um, and good for the fans. I mean, I, I lo- like I've said before on previous episodes. The youth movement in baseball is so exciting, mm-hmm. and I think that you know managers embracing that and letting these kids play—that's um, why we're getting these ridiculous, like you know, players played thirty games and is hitting twenty homers. Uh, Reese Hoskins—he's um, insane. I mean, 
the, my favorite part. It's out of, and it's not new. I mean, you look at last year. We had Trevor Story and Gary Sanchez who did almost the exact same thing. And they're all like at the top of the leaderboards for quickest to such and such home runs by a rookie. And it's, it's kind of crazy how it just keeps happening now. And it just looks like the trend of where baseball's going. Part of it might be that the balls are juiced, but part of it's just that emphasis on, you know, hitting the ball hard and uh, just aiming for that sweet spot, swing or miss, whatever happens, happens. Anyway, so going back to that rookie conversation, Matt Olson was who I was talking about. First baseman and outfielder for the Oakland A's. Really hasn't garnered that much attention, but this year in 56 games, he's hitting 263, has an OPS over 1,000, 23 home runs, 43 RBIs, and 32 runs score, run scored. I mean, that's pretty good numbers for a rookie, and in a year when, you know, headlines aren't do- being dominated by two players who are actually in the MVP conversation in both um, Bellinger and Judge, we might be hearing a little bit more about Matt Olson. but um, aside from he's been a shaky defender in the outfield, he's, he's pretty good defensively at first base. He's at plus four uh, defensive runs saved at first base, so an asset there, and it looks like he's going to be in their long-term plan. So what's your impression of Matt Olson? I think first it's great for the athletics. You know, a lot of been, people have been trashing them over the last like month and a half, two months because the young guys they there was kind of a sense of there was no direction for them. You know, Billy Bean always been known uh, to be a great uh, GM, but lately you know things haven't worked out. But Matt Wilson looks terrific. You know, twenty three home runs and two hundred and six at bats. That's just unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, two hundred six. Most players get, what, 600 to 650 at-bats a year. If you play this over a whole season, this man's on pace for 92 home runs. No, no, I did my math wrong. I'm sorry, 69 home runs. <laughs> but still, that's still pretty incredible. 69, that's, that's close to Bonds' record. That's, that's just insane. And, you know, he, he's doing it all over the field. 23 home runs, uh, slugging percentage is 659. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been terrific. And like you said, not only offensively, defensively, he's been a, a pretty good uh, first baseman, so... I like what I've seen out of him so far. Yeah, I think that obviously Judge is the clear-cut favorite to win the Rookie of the Year um, in the American League. But after that, it's kind of a murky picture. You've got uh, Trey Mancini uh, from the Orioles, who's having a great season. Yulieski Gurriel, who um, has kind of flown on the radar. Not a lot of people think, when I think of rookies, I think of Gurriel. But also uh, Andrew Benatendi and Mitch Hanniger on Seattle, who doesn't get a lot of conversation as well. But I think Olsen, even though he's only played 56 games, he's in that you know conversation for that second spot. Um, he's going to get some votes um, in the rookie of the He'll year. He'll get some votes, early. but I, I honestly, I don't know with what 56. I don't know with 56 games you can. You but can, but you can be a rookie of the year. Think I, about this. I don't think he's played enough. He is the highest OPS among rookies with at least 200 plate appearances, both AL and NL, by six at bats. <laughs> like. And, I, I but he's also the only player in baseball with 25 or more extra base hits and less than if, 10 doubles. If, you so don't, if you're voting for Rookie of the Year in the American League and you don't vote for Aaron Judge, no, but you I get don't know what you get more than one. You go but, first, second, third. So you you can pick the second and third um, spots there. So I think Olsen definitely cracks that top three, in my opinion. He's up there with Mancini. Um, I can see why some people would make... Uh, Arguments for Benatendi or Gurriel, but I think Olsen has had such better numbers across the board. I think it's just too small of a sample size. Like with Trey Mancini, he's been up all year. He's been terrific. He's really been a bright spot in an Orioles team that's struggled all year. Um, and then you look at Gurriel, he's on one of the best teams in the American League. Uh, he's hit terrifically this year, hitting right around 300. Um, I, I don't know how you take, 
I don't know how either of those guys take a backseat to Matt Olson. He only has 200 bats. I love what I see now. The kid, 23 home runs is is terrific. Uh, I think it's a little premature to put him in the rookie. The thing is, though, is there's a difference between the rookie of the year race and the MVP race. Rookie MVP is most valuable player. I understand that, and you have to play a certain amount to be valuable to your team. And in order to be valuable to your team, you have to be on at least a half decent one. What with rookie of the year. It's more about just who's the best rookie. And by looking at the numbers, like 200 plate appearances is not a small sample. It's not, a, it's not like a full season or anything. 56 games, he's probably going to finish with, what, 65 by the end of the year or a little over 60. So I think that's enough to justify him being in the conversation. Obviously, Aaron Judge is, is far and away the better player. But I'm saying to be in that conversation of the top three, he's there. And I think he's going to get some votes and finish within the top three, probably top two, in my opinion. If, but that's the thing. He's not. He's West Coast player. He's not getting that attention that Ben Attendee, who is actually having a worse season than some people think, um, is getting. Ben Attendee was heralded as the top prospect coming into the year, and he started off slow, and people kind of forgot about him, but then he had a little hot streak, and everyone was like, oh, Ben Attendee could actually rival um, Aaron Judge. I saw a few hot takes um, on the internet saying, like, hey, you should be paying attention to Ben Attendee more than Judge right now with Judge's slide and Ben Attendee's hot second half. But Ben Attendee's cooled off. Uh, I don't um, know how you don't give it to Aaron Judge. With, well, yes. With 40-plus home runs. No, I, no, 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 no. I, know, I know what you're saying. There's some hot takes. Yeah. Uh, those, they're just not hot takes. They're just bad takes. <laughs> bad takes, but actually. But, I mean, I'm looking at Trey Mantini's numbers right now. 24 home runs, 77 RBIs. He's hitting 293 with uh, over 800 OPS, and he has almost a full season's worth of plate appearances. I don't know how you would take Matt Olson over that. 549 plate appearances. Over two and a half, right around, like, two time, two and a half times the plate appearances that Matt Olson has. And he has 24 home runs, 77 RBIs, and an OPS plus of 121, 21% better than the average hitter. That, I I don't know how, I you might be going with a hot take here, but... No, but I'm saying Olson's has an OPS over 200 points better. And I know, understand he's played less games, but with... And Even 40, in the 200 games, it's like the Joel Embiid um, argument from last season. He fell off, He got injured last year, only played in like 40 games, but was, you know, that rookie. So, Man, so, Mancini, so you're saying Mancini is penalized because he's played No, I'm saying he hasn't been for longer. I'm saying he's not as good a player, as per the numbers right now. I don't know about that. I mean, I understand he's a defensive liability. I don't really have a place to put him, but... 24 home runs, 77 RBIs. He's almost saying 300 in 550 plate appearances. Like, I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the conversation. I'm saying Olsen belongs. I would pick him as number two, personally, just by the numbers. Of, well, lucky for baseball, you don't have a vote. Not yet, anyway. Um, but, oh well. I think that, overall, I think Olsen just deserves more attention for the season he's been having. I mean, between the AL, you got to look at the guys in the NL too. You got Hoskins, you got Cody Bellinger, uh, Paul DeJong on St. Louis, Kyle Freeland, who's been a stud for Colorado this year, and Luis Castillo on Cincinnati. Overall, there's just a ton of young talent, and so I think Olsen's kind of been lost in that mix, and I just think he deserves that spotlight a little bit. Playing for a West Coast team in fifth place, I mean, they're 69-83 right now. Yeah. Oakland is sitting in the basement of the AL West. Uh, I just think overall. There's players, it was like when the Diamondbacks were bad and Paul Goldschmidt wasn't getting the attention he deserved. Well, this yeah, is, yeah. I mean, he's obviously not. It's Paul also because they play on the West Coast. Yes. He's, and the Diamondbacks aren't like, 
a big team, market a team. Big market yeah, team, so. and neither, neither are the A's, but. Um, All right, so if you, let, let's look at this, right? So it's 136 at-bats. Like, well, where's your threshold for rookie of the year? Because I just feel like Reese Hoskins, I mean, if we want to have this conversation. I think Reese Hoskins belongs in the conversation. I don't think they But only 100, like, I'm a huge Phillies fan. I love him. Like, I love him to death. But 136 at-bats, I just don't think that's enough to be considered a rookie. Rookie of the year, nonetheless. I think if you exceed, your, not, rookie, if not you exceed your rookie limits in a season, I'm not, you deserve con- I'm not penalizing him for only playing in or only having 136 at-bats because it's not fair to him. It's when he got called up. But then the day, when you look at Trey Mancini over, obviously one's in the American League, one's in the National League. But mm-hmm. when you, you just compare 550 at-bats to 200 at-bats, you got you to gotta give the guy more credit for having more consistency over more at-bats. I mean, it's just... But I'm saying if they had similar numbers, yes, I would absolutely give it to the guy who's played more. But... With how much better Olsen's been. So you think, just question, has, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you're saying this, but over a full season, you think Matt Olsen would have OPS over 1,000? Heck no. I don't know that. Heck no. I don't know that. No. I, I just, That's what I'm saying. It's like you only have what you what's on the field. You can't imagine what he would have played. Yeah, but but in, in a way, like, he just hasn't played. But what's the point in having rookie limits set so low then? If you're not going to consider these players for rookie of the year, he he qualifies as a rookie, it's, and he'll also, never have to be also, a rookie again. Let's also remember it's for contract purposes. Yes, but I'm still saying that's it's, like it's it, all the, the main reason is contracts. It's not because of the rookie year yes, award. That's probably the, the the last thing on their mind when it comes to. But it's still part of it. I, I understand. I understand, but I just don't think 200 bats is, is quick enough for him to get bats. Well. Let us know in the comment section. I know baseball writers will just probably disagree with me, but that's my own opinion. So uh, we'll move on. Sample size is important, but I think that when you're that good, Matt Olson for rookie of the year. Just kidding. Second rookie of the year, buddy. Uh, Moving on, though, a team that's been kind of struggling as of late, the Colorado Rockies. Diamondbacks have really pulled ahead, kind of similar to the Yankees have in the American League. Diamondbacks have pulled ahead for that first wild card spot. They're probably going to be hosting it. Um, and now it's down to the Brewers and the Rockies for that second spot. Right now, the NL MVP race is pretty packed. There's really not a player that stands out. So Rockies, however, have two players that are really in the thick of that conversation, Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado. Now, I pose this question to Kevin. Who's been the better player? Who's the MVP of the Rockies this year? Got to go there, Nolan Arenado. Um, Looking at the numbers, 34 home runs, 125 RBIs. Uh, 304 batting average, a 579 slugging percentage over 642 at bats. That's that's insane. 946 OPS. Um, I I think he brings more defensively than Charlie Blackman does, uh, especially playing more of, of a valuable position. That's my opinion. I think third base is a little more valuable than center field. Ooh, I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, if you have a bat third baseman, I mean, it also more depends. balls go up the middle but than it, anywhere else. But it also depends on what kind of pitchers you have. If you have a bunch of ground ball pitchers, then you're going to want a better third baseman. Over but, you know, the, the, if you're going to go defensive-minded team, your four players you want to have your four best defenders are going to be your catcher, your shortstop, your second baseman, your center fielder right up the middle. So I would say Blackman plays a more premium position. However, he's Nolan Arenado. He's so much worse at the premium Nolan position. Nolan Arenado, far so, away, the better, a the negative, better player. Charlie Blackman has a negative war this year defensively. And... 
Um, Nolan Arenado's got a, a two point no, yeah. three. I'm just saying that like, I wouldn't say third base is more premium position than center field. Okay, that's that, I mean that's okay. That I'll, I'll keep my opinion, but <laughs> but that being said, Arenado's Arenado's 19 defensive runs saves is the second most in the NL, trailing over Tucker Tucker Bernhardt um, in Cincinnati. So overall, he's been probably up there with Andrew and Simmons as top two best defensive players in baseball over the past few years. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, he deserves to be in that conversation. And I think a big thing that ha- puts this in Arenado's favor is their home versus road splits. Um, obviously, both of them have fantastic home numbers. They play at Coors Field, uh, the premier hitter's I, park in I baseball. Mean, don't, don't get Matt wrong. They, they're still great players. Oh, no, no, no. Like, but that's like, what I'm saying. Charlie Blackman's OPS on the road is a 794 this year, which is a great, great... You, you aim for like an 800. 800 is about once you yeah. start getting in that really good conversation. But Arenado's 879. I mean, that is just leaps of bound yeah. above better. So I think that is a big indicator of who the better player is. But, but what's, what's but, the difference when their home, home, their home OPS is? Uh, I, believe, I didn't write that down, but I believe Blackman's is better. But the thing is, all right, all right. So Blackman has been the better hitter this year. Okay, OPS plus compares four park effects. It takes that into account, yeah, stabilizes it. That way, you can compare previous eras versus um, now versus like players playing in certain parks. It legalizes park effects and year effects, where you can compare any player from any era in MLB history to in on one single number and. Arenado, 129, which means he's 29% better than the average player. Charlie Blackman is 143, 43% better. So by hitting standards, I mean, uh, Blackman leads the National League in batting average, runs scored, hits, total bases, and triples. While Arenado leads it in doubles and RBIs. RBIs is a team stat anyway, and Blackman's hitting leadoff. He's going to be the guy in front of him scoring all those runs anyway. So I don't really think that there's much of a conversation to say that Arenado's a better player. I mean, Blackman is only one triple away from being the first player since 1978 to hit at least 35 home runs and 15 triples in a season. Last to do is Jim Rice. The last cool. NL player, Willie Mays. That's kind of a skewed stat, though, because how many of those triples came at Coors Field? Probably, I'd say, oh, a 75% lot of, them. of them. No, no, a lot of them. So, I'm, like, I'm so pretty that, sure Blackman has but one that, triple But that away. record is kind of that's skewed. It's skewed because he could hit the ball in the right field gap. He could hit the ball in the left field gap and it's a triple. You still have to have the speed to do it. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's the numbers. I'm just saying, like, that's like, even Arenado, who's not a speed, not a speed guy, has seven play, triples. This players year. play at Coors Field every year, and it hasn't been done since 1978. I mean, that that's pretty significant, even with Coors Field effect. Obviously, he would probably wouldn't have done it in another stadium. I understand that. I'm just saying that that's that's a big stat, in my opinion. And the guy he passed was uh, the last one to do it was Jim Rice. So Jim Red Rice State. played for. Uh, he played in the American League. I'm not so he didn't. So he didn't play for the Rockies. No, and the last player. Yeah, so that, so that automatically makes his record better than Charlie Black. Well, I'm, they're both have done it. Willie okay, Mays. That's fair, that's fair. Willie Mays had 20 um, in 1957 when he did. He's the last NL player to do so. 20 triples. I mean, he was playing for the Giants. I mean, we're talking about Hall of Famer Cooperstown. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we're t- on that list. We're a ton of Hall of Famers. Luke Gehrig, Babe Ruth, um, a couple of names just popped off the page to me. And that that to be on that list, even with course field effects, is still something to be said. He's yeah. having a fantastic year. Um, Arenado leads the league in WAR, or leads the way in WAR, um, but Blackman leads the way in offensive WAR. So that's where that defense comes in, and how good of a defensive player that Arenado has been. And overall, I think if you have to look at MVP, I weigh hitting stats 
more than fielding, just because I, you know, scoring runs, it you you have a part in that more so than your team preventing them if you're a fielder, because you're only one ninth of that fielding, but at the same time you you can make more of an impact as a hitter. So that's why they have a DH. But but like as a hitter, scoring runs doesn't come from you hitting. You know, you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So no. like, so like you're not Charlie Blackman's not the reason he has. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's he leaves. He's not the, the he's not the reason he has 131 runs. Yeah, and it's the lineup around and, and Nolan Arenado is not the reason he has 125. Only RBIs. 30. Only 35 of the, those runs are him. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are his team. So exactly. I mean, he no, I, I understand that, but I'm saying. 143 OPS versus 129. The wars are comparable. Blackman leads in like five offensive categories, but overall, I think he has that edge in the MVP race solely because his hitting stats are over 14 percent oh, better. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Charlie Blackman. If you go through the numbers, he's just offensively so much better. Mm-hmm. But you have to. I know for for MVP purposes, they don't look as much into the defense as they should. Mm-hmm. So Blackman's obviously the the pick, but you have. My in my mind, you got to take in the defensive part of it, and Arenado, I do take that Arenado makes account. up the space. I mean, yeah, still has just as many home runs, more RBIs, uh, thirty less runs, but Blackman. But he also has Blackman, thirty more RBIs. Was Blackman hit lead off for? Yeah, Blackman's yeah, so hitting lead, lead off. Blackman's for one hitting lead off in baseball. Blackman's scoring all the runs. He leads the league yeah, in runs. Exactly. Arenado leads the league in RBIs okay. because he's driving in Blackman yeah, all the time. Yeah. So I mean, those are just numbers that are feeding off. And they kind of each cancel other. each other out. Exactly. So I mean, he's got thirty points better in, in batting average uh, and a higher OPS. Mm-hmm. Defensive. Both fantastic players, but I think that offense matters more. If the numbers were a little closer um, on the season, what what does stand out to me though is Arenado's away splits are better. So that I think does come into play. And I, honestly, if you could probably sway me with a good argument to take Arenado over Blackman, but I think just looking at the pure season s- stats, Blackman's been the better hitter, and so he's would be my pick for be the Rockies MVP. Let's not forget how lucky are the Colorado Rockies to have both of those players. And DJ Lemay. Usually, we have a discussion about two MVP candidates that are on separate teams. Mm-hmm. They're on the same team. Yeah, they hit the same lineup, two spots away from each other, and. Insane. I mean, it's like talking about Correa and Altuve in the American. I, I think this duo is better than that. Yeah, that's a I debate won't. for another week. That's a good debate. Who's the best one-two punch in baseball? If you had to take the best two hitters from every lineup in baseball, Harper and Murphy might be, or Harper and Rendon. I don't know. I don't know. Reese Hoskins, JP. Oh, get out of here! Get out of here! <laughs> had to try it. <laughs> all right, all right. Last topic we're going over today. Uh, JD Martinez. Uh, someone who I've wanted, I've been itching to talk about him um, over the past few weeks because that move that the Diamondbacks made for him, trading a player not even in the top 100 um, in terms of MLB prospects, because they didn't have a player in the top 100 for JD Martinez, was absolute steal. He's on the season, 111 games. He's at 294, OPS over 1,000, 41 home runs, 93 RBIs, 23 doubles, and 79 runs scored. Now he's only played 111 games. He hasn't really been able to stay healthy over his career. He's only had one full season. That was back in 2015, his only sole all-star year um, for the Tigers. But it seems like every time he gets traded, he gets better. Um, it's kind of funny after the Astros. Um, Someone always Tigers finds something take, new in his swing, and they're like, hey, we can change it. Guys always have potential. So he's crushing home runs now. I know right now it's at 25 with Arizona after only having 16 with Detroit. So that's just crazy um, overall. But... Looking in terms of this offseason, he's definitely due for a big payday. There's not a ton of hitters 
um, that are be on the market. Obviously, a lot of teams are looking toward that next offseason after this year, so that could hurt his stock. But MLB Trade Rumors thinks that there's going to be um, six-year contracts floating around, which means he'll probably stay in the American League because his defense has always been suspect. Um, but he's also 30, so that would bring him through his age 36 season. He just turned 30 back in August. Um, but do you think he lands a deal over $100 million? Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at his salary for this year. It's $11 million. I'd say double it for next year. I think he makes $20 million a year for six years at least. Um, I think he can make more than that. He's just proving, you know, when he came over, he only had 16 home runs. He was on the DL for like a month to start the season. He still has over 40 home runs this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 25 since he went over to the Diamondbacks with a OPS plus of 158, 163 with the Tigers, 160 on the season. Just insane numbers. I don't know how you don't look at the. And it's not just like he popped up this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look no, back. he's been one of the yeah, sneaky good hitters. Yeah, you know, 38 home runs back in 2015, 23 home runs, 22. I, and, and the OPSs are always in the right around 900, the 870 to the 900 range. So if he doesn't get paid more than $20 million in – I, th- I mean, it might be a four- or five-year deal. I don't know if I invest six years in him just because of the age. Maybe if he was 28, I would go six years. But, um, I mean, there's always someone looking for someone to add to their lineup. So, mm-hmm. I-, I could see the Philadelphia Phillies, honestly, maybe throwing him some money. They've got money to throw. they got money to throw in Citizens Bank Park. What a great ballpark for a power hitter. Why not? It's true. Just where do you put him in the outfield? That's why that's why the AL probably makes more sense, you know. Later, I think he'd want to go later to on. AL. Later on he could be a DH, so it, it's a little better of a fit, but he's been DH in the past too, because he's never really been a good defender, so they've kind of had to hide him at the DH spot. Um in Detroit they did for a while. Yeah. Obviously I mean, with how many catchers that uh Houston uh, or sorry, Arizona um doesn't have the DH, so they have to put him in the outfield, but um, you know, putting him in the American League. Uh, next back in the American League next year would definitely be a good option for him at least in terms of you know retaining long term value, but you got to look at the guys that he's going up against in this free agency class. Other hitters, uh, Eric Hosmer, who is one I of the best. I would J D Martinez over. Him. Well, no, I think J D Martinez. Just go through the names. I'll tell you if I'll take which side. I'm saying right now J D Martinez is the best hitter in, on the free agency class, but Eric Hosmer, Justin Upton has an opt out. He's okay, the only you know, one he's, who could. Who he's could a ride. he's a slight downgrade, but still good. Mike Mustakis. And Lorenzo Cain. Mike Moustakis plays a, a better mm-hmm. position than yeah. any of those guys. So oh, and Carlos Santana. but Carlos um, Santana. Yeah, I wouldn't put him in that like league. He's like a three-year deal guy. I mm-hmm. feel like. I would, maybe they, I would maybe three years, off. 15 a year or something. There, there are also going to be you Darvish and Jake Arrieta as well. So there's going to be some money going around. Arrieta's had a bit of a bounce back year. Um, I, don't and pitching well, I don't think the Cubs no, are going to play him. No, not a chance. They, I mean, they have a lot of young talent, I think. Why? Their their farm system is pretty deep, Why would they? even they're, with how good they are. They already got to pay Lester until he's 65. So. <laughs> That's true. Um, and Kendr- uh, Kyle Hendricks' free agency is up in like two years, so they got to look ahead at him as well. Um, but overall, I think that Hosmer and Upton are probably going to be the two um, biggest competitions in terms of big bats. Upton's a better defender. Yes, but Upton also has to take that opt-out. He got traded to the Angels, um, so it, it kind of depends on what their offseason plan is. That's what he said, I don't whether think, or not he'd take that opt-out. I don't think he's in their future plans. Probably not. Hopefully not. I mean... I think they I, might have been banking on him taking the opt-out. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they want to pay him. They already have a high payroll, mm-hmm. not a great farm system. Well, 
If he opts in, if he opts in, they're trying to contend now. They're not going to be one of those teams that's going to rebuild with Mike Trout. But if there's he, no way. But if he opts in, I mean, that. they can put him on the trade market next year if they don't have <coughs> a successful season. So I, I'm the Angels. Maybe opt back in. You know, I mean, good. we already have enough money on the books. We living in LA, not a bad life. Mike Trout, um, CJ Crone, Albert Pujols. You can learn Cole from. Calhoun. Yeah, they've got a. This decent lineup. Um, some guys are having pitching bad rotation. Year. Oh, horrible pitching rotation. And the, but hey, the bullpen's kind of suspect too. So maybe they go in San Diego for the offseason and they got something going. Oh, I would, I would bash the Angels for forty-five minutes straight if they went out and got Jake Arrieta. That they need. Bad they're one of those teams. They're like the Baltimore Orioles. They need to just. I don't think they clean house. I don't think they should clean house. Keep Mike if Trout you, clean house. If you keep Mike Trout, who you only have him for, I think it's three or four more years. I would trade Mike Trout if you're going to actually go through a rebuild because that's how you're going to jumpstart your rebuild. Is Trout's trade value is would be incredible. I mean, that would be one of the great, like, biggest trades. Yeah, another, I think they could get a lot for Garrett Richards too. Think Probably he's a young guy shown the potential to be an ace. There's some injury staff. issues. Yeah, but you know, people are willing to take risks. So, I I I understand what you're saying when they you know they have to they have to stay competitive while they have Mike Trout and mm-hmm. take the opportunity while it's there, but. Imagine the package they can get from Mike Trout. Oh, I know. I mean, you look at what the Red Sox uh, had to trade for Chris Sale. I yeah, mean, I mean. That was ridiculous. To, um, some of the best prospects in the game. Yoan Moncada was number one prospect. Um, and They trade their three of their top five or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's insane. There was a bot, it was a seller's market for sure. I mean, the Nats were in the conversation now for that, and like they were demanding market. Trey Turner. Now it's definitely a buyer's market. Oh, right now, the yeah. Diamondbacks gave nothing for J.D. Martinez. And he said well, it's because there's only a few actual contenders and then everybody else. I mean, the Twins were sellers at the deadline, and they're holding a playoff spot right now. So, yeah, good young roster. They do. They're up and coming. Them and the Brewers, I think, are teams where I wouldn't be too discouraged by missing playoffs this year because I think down the line um, they're going to have a good, good enough uh, teams. Corey Neville. Is a really underrated closer. He did just give up a two-run homer to blow yeah. the game yesterday. But overall, it's he's had happen. a great year. I mean, yeah, uh, it happens to everybody. So he's had a great season, and I would be very happy with him holding the down the ninth inning for the next few years. Um, and Travis Shaw, who is pretty underrated as well, plays third base for the Brewers, um, has quietly put together almost an MVP caliber season. He's been very the good. best hitter on the very Brewers. Good. Yeah. He's one of those guys, I think, I was listening to him be interviewed by someone, and he uh, was talking about how he just came into the season just trying to get one month of 900 OPS. His OPS in the season's over 900. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just a breakout candidate. Uh, Red Sox definitely wish they had him now, considering their third base troubles. I know uh, Devers has been all right since he came up, but still. Yeah. I know, mean, I mean, Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> yeah. Was not- Sandoval's just smiling at the Red Sox. Well, yeah. Keep paying him. For, to play, play for the Giants. Giants. No, he's in the majors. Oh, now. he's in the majors. He's on the Giants. Yeah, I mean the Giants don't have anybody <laughs> to play right now, so they've had some serious injury issues. Um, but they're going to be going for it next year. So I think we talked about them a little that, bit. But think about that division next year: Giants, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Rockies, and the like, Padres. Well. Uh, I mean, the Padres are doing the right thing. Everyone yeah. else is good. Why not tank? Yeah, I mean, it's what NL East is doing right now. Exactly. Well, eh, not really. It's kind of the opposite in NL East. Everyone well, NL East, sucks. Everyone, well, the NL East is like, well, the Nats are filthy, so we're going to rebuild. Except yeah, but the Mets are just bad. But the wild card's like still there. I'm talking about in the, in the NL West, if there's 
four good teams, why would you even try? Yeah, I know. I know. Then you have to compete for a wild card spot. There's no way. There's one of those four teams that's going to win 96 games plus and win the division, and then everyone else is just fighting for a spot. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, yep, that's going to wrap up our pre-planned topics for today. I think we'll cut out a little bit early. I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, guys.